Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable and I'm using my own name for the first time in a long time. I'm Claire Heath-McIver, I'm your host and I've always been your host. After surrendering my anonymity in 2022's news cycles, I've been spending a lot more time explaining the use of the pseudonym so I've given it away. I'm disappointed but it's also just so nice to be me. So thank you to my benevolent ancestors, Kit Ryan and Heather Rose Kennedy, for the use of their names while I found the courage to be me. Today's episode is a treat. Troy Waller and Brian McDowell are the voices behind the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. They interviewed me a while back, link in show notes, and I've been meaning to return the favour for so long. Not only because I love story and I love hearing from other ex-evangelicals and others who've walked similar paths to mine, but because these two gents are so wonderfully irreverent. Today we talk about calling out the bullshit, saying the things no one else can say, getting drunk with people, creating community after church and genuinely being happy. They also test out the theory that they can still speak in tongues and I'll let you judge for yourself on that one. Speaking of which, uh, see if you can pick the word that I say instead of um. We all have our vices. It's been a wild time here in Casa MacIver. I've kicked off another podcast with Shari Smith and Kate West. It's called Survivors Discuss and brings together panels to discuss the big issues. The first episode was with Tia Levings from the Shiny Happy People documentary that's been lighting up the ex-evangelical conversation space, gaining insights not only into Gothard and the IBLP, but also learning how it affected all of us, no matter our faith space. And it was a banger. The second episode drops next week, talking about our lives before it all went wild. So I do hope that you'll tune in for that one and subscribe. You're about to listen to a podcast that celebrates the freedom to call out the bullshit, the freedom to be irreverent and to make jokes and to heal. For those of us who've lived under the shadow of having to toe the line in order to maintain our space within a structure called church, I know this requires bravery. Humour certainly takes the edge off it, but it requires bravery. So as you listen, know that you can do it too. Even if whispering it to yourself in your own room is the place where you start, that is still huge and that is still progress. I'm Claire Heath-McIver. This is Unchurchable, featuring Troy Waller and Brian McDowell. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm cult expert and fundamentalism survivor Sadie Carpenter from the Leaving Eden podcast. I'd like you to join me and my co-host Gabrielle Hakoen as we discuss Shiny Happy People, the brand new documentary about the Duggar family, Bill Gothard, and the Institute in Basic Life Principles. As a special treat for our listeners, we'll be sitting down with several of the documentary's contributors and diving deep into the realities of living under the IBLP and Christian fundamentalism. Make sure you catch our special episode dropping June 8th on the Leaving Eden podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode four of season three of Unchurchable. I didn't actually think I was going to make it to this episode, but the wonderful Troy Waller and Brian, oh gosh, I've forgotten your surname already. Waller. Brian Waller. Yeah, no. <laughs> the voice from I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Last time we spoke, I was sitting in my hometown out the front of what used to be my cafe and they were interviewing me about my 
dumpster fire formative years <laughs> and they've returned the favour to come on to Unchurchable, introduce themselves to my listeners and talk about their lives as teenage fundamentalists. Thank you for popping along and for staying up past your bedtime, boys. I, well, it's not quite my bedtime. <laughs> However, we did do an interview with someone the other night, I've got to say, and, and Troy and I were still texting each other about an hour after it because we couldn't come down. Off yeah, it. we're all we, wound up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the worst thing for me. I have this little habit essentially where I, I go screen-free time about mm -hmm. an hour or so before bed and read a book because it helps me wind down and, fuck, I'm sounding old. <laughs> it's a bit confronting, isn't it? I, um, I've i turned 40, the check engine light is on um, and I've started wearing comfy shoes to things. It's all It's all very... It's all very confronting, but both, all three of us have kind of spent our formative years in um, a very, uh, yeah, in very interesting ways. Can you tell me a little bit about yourselves, Troy, Brian? How did you meet? What was your life before you were these heretical podcasters who basically uh, spent your time shit stirring on the internet? <laughs> well, I, I like to now be known as Troy McDowell, if that's okay. In case you're wondering what Brian's surname is. Miguel, thank you. My Another dad's thing. name is Brian. Oh. So. <laughs> so is the dog from Family Guy. Yeah. So, I mean, you make me twitch a little bit there, Mr. McDowell. But anyway. <laughs> Although I will say one of the things I was excited about coming along and doing this tonight, and, and I hate the fact that everything's exciting in the podcasting world. We're excited to be here. We're excited to have the guests and we're excited mm -hmm. to come along to your podcast. Everything's <laughs> fucking exciting. So exciting. All amazing. Amazing. I love, the, I love the idea that I don't have to do any editing. Yeah. Shut this up. This is absolutely brilliant. It's like I get to come in, I get to be the talent. It's you awesome. You get to say as many times as you like and it's my damn problem. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and um. You know, you know, um, um. So, Troy, what were you, were you a teenage fundamentalist? I was a teenage fundamentalist. Thanks for listening to my podcast. <laughs> yes, I was a teenage fundamentalist. I was a teenage fundamentalist for almost all of my teenage years. 13, I got recruited into the revival centres. Oof. Yep, which is pretty intense. And it was funny because I've had a few revival centre folks listen to, you know, people that I know listen to your episode with us. And I said, you know, it really reminds me a lot of the revival centre. Different beliefs you know, not not those sort yeah. of, you know, tongues to be saved and everything, but the expression really sounded a lot like the revival centres, just this intense asking for permission, rules around dating, just quite extreme. So, so I can really relate to your background because I think while yours may not have been as bad as the revival centre, I think it's pretty damn close, if not worse. Interesting. I actually spoke to a gentleman um, who just the other week who was uh, who grew up in the revival centres. Now I wasn't really aware of the doctrines or practices of these other uh, denominations in Australia growing up. It was all very much this is the way you know we're we're in the on the right track and you know, we don't need to really draw from the others. But can you explain to me, and I guess to my American listeners, Revival Centres, what's that cesspool like? Yeah, sure. Well, the Revival Centres, 
were sort of two steps away from the Assemblies of God. So you think about there was a breakaway from the Assemblies of God called the Christian Revival Crusade, and then the Christian Revival Crusade had a break, a split, and the Revival Centers came out of them back right. with, with different names. And they sort of eventually, eventually went along the paths path of sort of the UPC, the United Pentecostal Church, mm-hmm. not that they became oneness, Trinity deniers. <gasps> they didn't do that, but they started on with the, uh, you must be baptized in water and must receive the Holy Spirit with Bible evidence of speaking in tongues. That was what we called it, Bible <laughs> evidence of speaking in tongues. And so if how got- do you measure that? Like, Because my take on speaking in tongues is you just listen to Amy Winehouse scat and then you bring it down to a monotone and ditch the music. That that was kind of my take on it. <laughs> yeah, good one, good one. No, ours was to say hallelujah over and over and over again until your tongue changed because nothing <laughs> says miracle as much as that. So quite literally I, I was in a – a pastor's cabin on a camp, just going hallelujah, 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 until eventually, and then off I went. Um, I don't like to speak in tongues in public, but I was thinking, you know, Brian, wouldn't it be cool if we did on someone what else's podcast? Oh, oh come good. on. I, I haven't taken enough Valium for this to happen. <laughs> I've got this huge glass of wine, though. So how, if how I just neck this, really then you can have a go. How would you feel, you, really, if we started speaking in tongues? If just you, do it. Just, I mean, how do you feel about it now? <laughs> oh, I can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, ready? I'm going to do it, and this is going to go out. Are you okay if I do yeah, this? All right. Okay. okay. All right, here we yeah, go. Sure. Oh, gosh. I, you know what? Now I'm all uptight about it. I'm the little No, I can't even do it now. I'm all, I'm all nervous. Hold on. Let me, let me just relax. You better give it. There you go. There you go. There it was. He's got it. It sounded a bit like the the language in the the Temple of Doom. Remember when they're tearing the the heart out of of that person in the cage? That's what it sounded like. That was it's the different chant. every time. It's different every time. You know, like sometimes, I, like I went through a stage when we first did our podcast, and I actually tried it for the first time in years, and it sounded a bit Arabic to me and I thought oh I think it's like the Ouija board you just sort of go there you don't realize you're actually doing it intentionally but you are that is so interesting I'm a I've got such mixed feelings about praying in tongues for some others they felt it was quite legitimate for me it always felt quite put on uh, what about you Brian was it a natural thing for you or were you kind of scatting like Amy Winehouse or imitating scenes from um movies <laughs> i was a scatter um I, I remember being trained in the back of an old holden on the gold coast with somebody in the front seat turning around and doing hallelujah so i think the uh, word is groomed brian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 they were in the front seat i was in the back <laughs> okay yep so many bad jokes i can make here but i'm yeah, not I'll, going to i'm not going to take it there because content just warning <laughs> sounds like a bruce springsteen song by the way i right. was in the back seat he was in the front <laughs> but that's what it was. I was coached into hello, yeah, hello. And it, f- it felt so fake during that. However, I've got to say, I spoke in tongues for the vast majority, not just my fundamentalist Christianity time, but even when I was in the milder expressions of the Church of Christ and the Baptists. And yeah, so I, I continued that. It became habitual and it became comforting. And I know there is a lot of mm. science around this that it takes you into a meditative state, but I did continue it. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was genuine until I didn't. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? Because I, 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 be- I didn't really believe mine either. When I got it, I was like, 
Really? Uh, and then you sort of, I don't know, do you convince yourself? Do you just get into a habit? I don't know. But eventually I, like you, went on with it and never really doubted that I had the real thing. But mm -hmm. for the first few months, I didn't reckon it was legit either. It, it's interesting to me because, <laughs> because I mean, in the psych world, we call it glossolalia. I think is is how you glossolalia. How you I think that. is how you pronounce. Yeah, glossolalia, which is just speaking gibberish. It's, it's not supposed. It's nonsensical. So there's that. There's that element of is it a dissociative thing? Is it you know, or is it an altered state of consciousness that you reach in this kind of group situation? My thing was I could pray in tongues quite comfortably in a group situation when you're in a room of 50 people and everyone sounds as ridiculous as you, but when you're at home in your lounge room by yourself, can you create the same altered state of consciousness in order to engage with it? And look, looking back on it, I don't know whether it was genuine for me um, or whether it wasn't. And I guess the people who listen to my podcast and try to say, see, she was never a real Christian, they're probably thinking, yes, it was never never genuine. But I, I don't no. know. It's hard to recast your history after you. No, no, I, I can answer that. It wasn't genuine. Yeah, I was going to say, genuine. It's, all, it's all fake. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, can, I, can I tell you, it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's genuine in the sense that you are giving over to something and that, and what I mean is psychologically, not spiritually. Yeah. I think in that sense, it's genuine. I don't think people are out there going, oh, I am now going to fake tongues. No. But I think it's a learned behavior and I think it's purely psychological. Yeah. You know, I, 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 and, and even, dare I say, it's sociological in the sense of pressure and that kind of thing. But no, I, I am well beyond. And even as a Christian, I actually graduated on from tongues and became quite conservative really in in terms of the spiritual gifts and everything i wrote them all off well before i left the church well congratulations on being ahead of the curve in deconstructing before you you stepped out the door <laughs> brian on your road to tongues and on your road to you know he was in the front seat i was in the back <laughs> what was your teenage experience your experience of faith Oh, I was late to my conversion. So Ooh. I was I was seventeen. So I I had always grown up in a very spiritual household. I grew up mm -hmm. in a household where we had seances together as a family. So oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. And like mum, my sisters would all go to there was a local witch in Melbourne called Kerry Culkins, a very famous Very witch. famous. She used to hang out near Sale, actually. She used to hang out near my hometown out at Sea Spray. Yeah, when you're yes. Kerry Culkins, I met yeah, her once. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Keza, she, well, Troy and I actually went um, skipping forward a bit and prayed outside of her shop in in Melbourne for a, because <laughs> okay. we, wanted to, we wanted to bind Satan. But no, we wanted to cross I, over to take over. <laughs> did. Oh, to quote Kit Kennedy. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call this episode, crossover to take over. I don't know. I love so, it. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I was late. I, I, my my brothers were the first in the family to become mm -hmm. Christians. I, I had a sister, actually, who was a Seventh-day Adventist. She was one wow. of the first. And then I had two brothers who got converted to Christianity. And I went up, visited them on the Gold Coast on a holiday, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, despite my... 
my wishes that they couldn't even have a Bible in the house or anything like when when I went there because I was just so opposed to it because we had been subjected to one of my brothers constantly ringing and what I later knew was witnessing to the family. Mm-hmm. But we just would go, oh, fucking Bible bashers, fucking. And my dad was very <laughs> intolerant of this. So anyway, long story short, that was my entry into uh, what became – 20 years really of Christianity, starting off as a fundamentalist, going through a deep fundamentalist stage for probably six or seven years and trailing off. I was a bit of Halley's Comet. I had a little, I had a, I had a tail and it, and it ended up disappearing 20 years later. Right, but not before you ended up a megachurch pastor. I was never a pastor. I was, I was, I had the ambitions of being a pastor. Because, oh, right. And I, I went to Bible college. He was um, on. He was on the path to it too. You would have got there before me in in the sense of being a serious pastor, not just a <laughs> not just a youth pastor. Oh, yeah. No. As I, I look, I, I, I definitely, I definitely was on that path. I think I was probably in with some of those people. I wasn't offensive to them. I was could have been someone that was easily controlled in that space, I would imagine, which means I'm not a threat. Mm-hmm. And yes, I, I would have got there. Oh, look, I was a I was a leader in the, the youth space there, did lots of different stuff, did the missions trip, did the you know, speaking at lots of different places, went out with Troy and trying to do outreach into churches and on the streets witnessing to people who were yet to come to the Lord and not many did. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, street witnessing, is that that's just a whole thing. Were you ever subjected to the practice of treasure hunting? No. This sounds oh. fascinating. Do tell. Oh, God. This is, I think it's a Bethel thing. I think it might have originated from there. But treasure hunting is where you get together and you do your praying in tongues and you ask the Lord for a word. And the word might be to go and find someone with purple tracksuit pants, a red hoodie, and to ask them about their bad breakup or something. Like it's a very specific, like you ask God for what they're wearing, what they look like, and then a prophetic word to give to them. And then you have to go and look for this person and they'll they'll take like a group of people out. We used to take a group of people out and go to like a shopping centre or, you know, like a football game or like something where there's going to be a lot of people and then you have to go hunting for this like bingo card of, uh, of a prophetic word. And it's mortifying like it's just it's just absolutely mortifying I remember trying to come up with something that was just completely obscure that just there was no way I was going to find someone who was like dressed like that or whatever and lo and behold I did it was the worst moment ever so you you didn't have to do any witnessing like that but what was street witnessing like for you (laughs) Bethel takes things to a whole nother level though don't they I mean, in terms of this spirituality and, you know, what we used to call super spiro, I don't know if that was a thing in sale. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, super spiro. They really take it to a whole nother level. They do that soaking, not the, not the Mormon soaking, but the grave (laughs) soaking. Yeah. Where they lie, they lie on the graves and everything. And now I'll say this, when I did my uh, grad dip in religion and theology at Monash Uni, being a secular university, 
Daring. We actually were looking at the first and second, well, the second and third century practice of having picnics on the graves of the saints for much the same reason, right? You would actually have a picnic on the graves of the saints with the idea that the anointing would would come up. And, and so I think this uh, Bethel idea, I wonder if someone actually discovered that in their sort of church history study or if they just happened to stumble across yeah. this idea again, yeah. Nothing like good old good old Christian necromancy, I think. But well, that's what it also, is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I found it really disturbing, but I also found it really – and I, I'd like your thoughts on this, Brian. You're in the counselling space a little bit, aren't you? I could be getting that completely wrong. Allegedly. I'm, I'm a social worker. Right, allegedly. I don't, I don't okay. counsel people. Uh, well, that's, only you know. by giving words of encouragement and things like that. <laughs> words of encouragement but not counselling. That makes sense. The, there was a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, a song leader at Bethel lost a two-year-old daughter to a, a sudden and grave illness. Um, the little girl's name was Olive, I believe, and they had 24-hour prayer meetings for like a week all across the world trying to bring this little girl back to life. And mm, I remember was, this. Uh, what was that? Like I found it really disturbing to watch. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's it's a technical term. Some people may not get it, but it's called fucked up. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. I remember hearing about it. I remember mm-hmm. hitting the news actually, and I mean we've seen similar things here in Australia with the girl in Ipswich who had diabetes. Who I think she was <sighs> nine or ten, and she was associated with a church out that way, and they withheld her insulin from her and. <gasps> believed and prayed and to the point where she died a horrible death because dying by not having your insulin means that your body slowly shuts down and it is very painful and horrible and these people were charged i can't remember the outcome of it but look we've had similar here like it's it's just so incredibly messed up why do you keep it all positive and upbeat you two I know. Let's talk I about know. deaths of children. Let's talk about deaths of children. Right. But I'm listening to my daughter cough upstairs. That's really, this is so comforting. So there's a certain irreverence in the two of you um, when you present your podcast, but also a real reverence for stories and for the way that people's lives sto- lives have evolved over the course of their walk out of uh, fundamentalism. How How have you kind of tread that line in terms of your own life, because obviously there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of trauma that can develop on your walk out of out of church and losing faith and all that kind of thing. How do you how do you tread the line of respecting story and also kind of poking fun at the bullshit? I think one of the main purposes in me wanting to do this podcast was because I wanted to tell my story. Mm. And maybe there's a you know a bit of narcissism and ego and self indulgence in there, but I I I don't think so. I, mm-hmm. I I think the real reason I wanted to tell my story is because I have to get it out, yeah. you know. And it's just it's a story that needs to be told. And there's also that, at least from my perspective. And then there's also the ringing the alarm bells and saying yeah. to people, this is not so good. And when we're in there, you can't tell your stories about being hurt and damaged when you're in the church and even no. when you journey out of Pentecostalism and into this sort of more, I mean, Brian and I both sort of connected with the evangelical left and it was very 
you know, looking after the poor and justice. But even in there, you couldn't tell your stories. It was kind of, there was this kind of pressure to get over it and move on. Mm-hmm. And so I kept it bottled up for a really long time. Yeah. And I mean, like I said to you before we started hitting record, I, I tried to write a book for a while, you know, and I got about halfway through and maybe one day, God willing, it'll, it'll <laughs> happen. But uh, no, I think it's just about trying to tell the story because it sort of needs to be told because it is painful and because it is horrible and, and it's my story. But mm-hmm. that said, I think taking the piss is a real Aussie thing, right? Yeah. We've, we've said this on a few of our podcasts recently and in, in talking with people from other cultures and saying, yeah, it's a real thing in, in Australian culture to take the piss. I think it's how we cope. Yeah. I think when you do it with friends, it's how you show care. But I do believe that when you wanting to tear something down or at least bring it into the light, something horrible into the light, humour takes the edge off. Yeah. And so I think in that, whether it's intentional or not, we're just, we just try to have a good time with it all because otherwise you can walk away getting really dark and down. Yeah. Is the dark and down an inevitable part of the process out of it, do you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, mm. I think so. There's, there's times when we will do interviews and I will come away from it just going, oh, shit. Yeah. Wow, that was really heavy. And then I have to listen to it seven times while I'm editing, you know. It, it can get it can get really 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 heavy. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? You you're you're always looking for the positive or at least you were when we first started. I'm just dreaming of his new Atari. Yeah, I love and my new Atari completely. <laughs> Welcome back to 1982. Yeah, look, I I I think it doesn't have to be darkness. I mean, for me I think walking away from my belief system and Christianity was so incredibly slow (laughs) and gradual that the pain wasn't as great. So I think the trauma and damage potentially wasn't as great because maybe I was doing reparation work along the way. Mm Mm-hmm unintentionally completely unintentionally but there was lots of intersecting points in my life that I think brought healing the thing that hurt the most for me was walking away from friendships which was family and a lot of my a lot of my time in christianity was spent in queensland so out yeah. of the state of my birth away from from family and those friends i grew up with and So those people became family. So I was slowly walking away from that before we left Queensland to return back to Melbourne. So there was pain in that for me. And I think that was far greater than the pain of losing my faith because losing my faith was something that it started way back when I was a fundy. I stopped believing in a literal hell even as a fundamentalist. And I think that was the first deep cut in my faith back then. I went, "Eh, you know what? If this God is someone that does that to people, he is a motherfucker. And I'm not sure that I can reconcile that. So I went, okay, I'll take that bit away. It makes him a bit kinder. I mean, if you delve into the idea of God impregnating Mary, who was Jesus' father and Jesus is his own father, God is a motherfucker. But, you know, let's (laughs) just... (laughs) 
<laughs> I do love that. I see you're still a fundamentalist, just so literal. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Still losing that. <laughs> but yeah, so look, I, I think for me, I mean, this this was making the podcast, and you know, Troy called me one day and goes, "Hey, I've been meditating and walking and stinking. Do you want to do a podcast?" And he was expecting me to go, "Nah." I just went, "Yeah." That'd I be totally great. was expecting you to say no, and when you said yes, it was like, oh, cool, someone to do this with. Yeah. There wasn't an element of, damn, now I've got to do this, or you were just like. No, no, I no. if I'd known, though, maybe I would have said that, but I had no idea what was coming. Well, so the, and I the, think that's the bit that was coming, which I didn't yeah. see, was the stuff where I thought I dealt with things. And as we started to unpack it with our own stories, but also interviewing other people, I realised there was pain still there. There yeah. was still unresolved shit, which was beneath the surface. surface. And, and not, not that it was all Christian-related, because I think there's other things, because we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about our breakdown in marriages, we've talked about our friendship breakdown, so that there's that pain that comes back up as well. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of stuff has happened along the way. So I take it that both of your stories had a Queensland element and or... Or did you meet coming back down to Melbourne and and how, how did you end up friends and how did you end up out the front of Kerry Culkin's shop trying to rid rid Victoria of Satan incarnate? <laughs> well, it was great big AOG, as we call it. That's where Ooh. we met. So after I'd been booted out of the Revival Centre, I went and lived a worldly lifestyle for a, for a period of time and then <laughs> scared the shit out of myself with stuff that I was getting into and, you know, you'd taken the boy out of the cult but not the cult out of the boy. And so I rejoined church and this time it was the AOG persuasion. And I met Brian it, at uh, Great Big AOG, as we call it. Um, we, we intentionally don't name it because we want it to be every church and we also don't want to be sued as if we're Claire McIver. So, oh, goodness. I, yeah, did, yeah. I did listen to my episode with you guys a few times before <laughs> before it hit, it went to air. And it went to air on the day that my sister got booted from the parliamentary secretary role. Couldn't have, yeah, well done, guys. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're going to think this was on purpose. It totally Ooh, wasn't. Anyway. The Dark Lord works in mysterious yeah, ways. That's right, he does. Satan, Satan moves in mysterious ways. So, so, yeah, so Brian used to drive and we lived in the same suburb or very close to one another and I didn't have a car and Brian was giving me a ride a lot of times. Aww. So we, we – I mean, I think we would have been friends anyway. I mean, he was in the front, I was in the back. But <laughs> but he used to give me a ride and I used to get in the car and he'd be playing his worldly music. And <gasps> Brian. I, I know, yeah, it was pretty bad. And so I used to actually give him a bit of a hard time and I think I came to him one day with a word from the Lord, but the word from the Lord was not the Lord told me you've got to get rid of your worldly music. It was, Brian, you've got to get rid of your worldly music because it's holding you back from the oh. Lord. It's holding you back, Brian. Do you know mm. the sense of vindication I feel? I, I mean, I, I said my first fuck at age 32 and never looked back. In fact, it's time to rein it in and I don't know how. But back in sale, once I'd left City Builders and I'd started going to the Baptist church, one of my good friends whose Bible study group I was in, he used to hassle me a bit about how much I swore and how I, I think I was the only one in the Bible study group that would frequently, you know, talk about this fucking scripture. Um, <laughs> anyway, he swears a lot now and it just brings me such joy. It brings me such joy. <laughs> so you, I, it, 
Yes. You never uttered fuck before the age of 32. Oh, I'm like, I'm sure I must have, but like only in secret or like, you know, the, the quietness of my own frustration, not in front of people. I think I might have said shit. I might have said bloody every now and then, but never fuck. I and had a friend of mine, Claire, I had a friend of mine mm. who when we were in church and we were pretty hardcore AOG and in fairness we were starting to sort of lean towards leaving, but he told me after he got married that his wife used to like to swear during sex. Oh. And, and he was really taken aback by that. He didn't know how to deal with it. And on, <laughs> on the one hand, he loved it, right, the way he was telling us the story. But on the other hand, he was like, yeah, but I don't know if this is – if this is right. And he actually said one day we were talking and I can remember some, somehow the word nipple came up and he said, oh, can a Christian say nipple? And oh, my he, gosh, no, really? no, he was joking. He was joking. And then, and then he looked at me and he goes, I don't even think a Christian should be able to say udder was what he actually said. <laughs> Do you know, well, I, I quite, my, my doctrine now, the religion I'm starting, I'm starting a cult of my own, I've decided, I think the only time you should actually cry out to God is during sex. But the other thing I think is people think that moist is the worst word in the English language. I don't think it is. I think it's anything with a PPLE. Nipple, supple, apple, whipple, ugh, just absolutely upsets me. It really upsets me. I don't know why. You I don't do like the way it, the, the sort of suppleness no, as, it, no, as it comes no, out of the mouth? no. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Far out. <laughs> right. So you're sharing cars, you're witnessing together. When, how far apart did your deconstruction journey start? Was there a point at which you lost the friendship and then reconnected or was this a, a fairly kind of deconstruct with me kind of situation? Look, I don't think we ever lost the friendship, but the friendship took different it manifested in different ways. <laughs> Look, I think our deconstruction in many ways at the start mirrored each other. So right. we both sort of started to walk away from Great Big AOG and drifted towards a Baptist church. So mm -hmm. my ex-wife and Troy's ex-wife, we love exes, were going to a Baptist church. And then around the same time we all went and – that was to the same Baptist church and then we drifted to different Baptist church and then we drifted to different churches of Christ over time. Oh. But there was little bits in between where I think Troy and my paths diverged based on spirituality. So when the Toronto blessing came oh God, about. Oh, the Toronto blessing. Yes. Far out. Early 90s to mid 90s. Rodney Howard Brown. Clown. This is that spoken by the prophet Joe. Well, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in his choir at, at the at his, I don't want to say concert, you know, at his It was thing a concert. In the, yeah, in the <laughs> Sports and Entertainment Centre. I was in the choir. I was in the crowd. There you go. We've been in the same room before, Troy. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, look, and I, for me, that's where I left fundamentalism. So right. I called bullshit on it. I called bullshit on it to great big AOG that threw themselves into it. I was questioning it. Mm -hmm. It was around the time I was at Bible college and I was just like, this is fucked. I do not believe it. I think it's froth and bubble. And it got to the point where I resigned all of my uh, different leadership posts, essentially, which were fairly informal. I wasn't on the payroll or anything. And I copped a fair bit of flack from, for that. 
certainly one of the senior pastors called me to his house to to give me a lecture on it, saying if I walked away, then I'm walking away from what God wanted in my life, and called me a pew warmer and oh all of that sort yeah, of stuff. Those, yeah. Old, those old chestnuts, sure. yeah, yeah, it was good, and that, that just really strengthened my resolve. I was like, "Fuck you!" So yeah. we then purposefully looked for a church that wasn't involved in all that crap at the time. But at that time, Troy threw himself right into it with his ex-wife and 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 a few other people. There was a bit of a schism. I think there was a few other people from Great Big AG that was going to this church, which basically was the, the centre of all things Toronto in Melbourne at the time. <laughs> oh, goodness. That was Christchurch Dingley. Yes. Christchurch Dingley was Dingley. Dingley yeah. Village. Well, Dingers, Dingers Village. Dingers. So there was, there was that. And then I think just over time I moved with my ex-wife interstate. That's when we took off to Queensland in the late 90s kept in contact with Troy but at that time a few things were happening for Troy Troy had done a lot of things in between which I'll let him speak to but the suspense is killing me yes so that late 90s was a very active time for Troy it was an active time for me because I just I went traveling and ended up we lived in Cairns for 11 years and during that time again the internet came about so Troy and I would email but stuff happened for you during that time Troy so I'll let you speak to that yeah, well, I, I was thinking about this when you were saying, you know, were you mega church pastors? And I thought, oh, I think maybe we've given people the wrong impression. And, and I promise it wasn't intentional. But when we say we were leaders in mega churches, I don't mean that we were pastors. We were middle leaders in the mega church. I was a, an assistant pastor and a youth pastor in a small country town, AOG. But certainly we weren't, we weren't senior pastors in some sort or even middle pastors in some sort of massive Hillsong-esque kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. we were members and sort of middle leaders. And so I was on the Bible college track. In fact, by 96, I had graduated from Bible college. And I realized, I think, through this whole Toronto thing, you know, as much as Brian says I threw myself into it, I did, but I was giving it a go. I was seeing if this was something real. Is this this revival? Is this, you know, the move of the Holy Spirit that we had been told about? Because Jesus was a no-show, but the Holy Spirit was just around the corner. And so I I did totally throw myself into it. But through that, I started to realize this isn't what they said it was going to be. And even though I was wide open to it and I was having these experiences, I was sort of getting up from these you know, what they used to call carpet time. I don't know if you remember that's what they used to call yes, it. I would yes. get up from these experiences and go, okay, what now? And yeah. after a little while, I just sort of drifted away from it. And then Baptist, as Brian was saying, Baptist Union, and then sort of went, yeah, okay, that's cool. But the the local church of Christ, or not the local church of Christ, but a quite a I guess I could even say famous Church of Christ in a city in Melbourne, which was a bit of a big deal, very lefty, very urban mission, connected to urban neighbourhoods of Hope, Ash, Ash and Ange Barker, all that kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't their church, but it was connected to them, connected to the God Squad loosely. Oh, and <laughs> Yeah, God and so I, I got really into that whole sort of scene there. And then my marriage broke down, my then wife was not wanting to journey away from this sort of middle class 
fundamentalist Christianity. I think she wanted to leave church. I think she wanted to walk away in that sense. But culturally, she was quite happy to sort of stay with this, what I was really seeing as a sort of mediocrity, which is ironic because now I live in the suburbs and I have, you know, cars and mortgages and all that kind of stuff as well. And yet it somehow feels different. Maybe it was more, I was more ready now than I was then. But um, yeah, I, I really came to a point where I was in this church. I was moving right away from the Pentecostal thing. I didn't want a bar of it. People would come to our church and they'd raise their hands and I'd just think, oh, fucking stop it. you know. <laughs> and then one day I went to church, Claire, and it just, to, you know, I, I've said this before on our podcast, I don't know whether it was Finney or Spurgeon or somebody said the heavens were as brass and that's really how it was. Yeah. I just, it just, I could not connect with it, just couldn't. Yeah. And friends of mine from from Bible college who had journeyed out of Pentecostalism and into this sort of environment as well. I can remember a dear friend of mine up the front, and he's talking about being broken. He's still a pastor to this day, but he's talking about being broken before God and the you know the 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 soft heart of. And I'm just sitting there, just thinking, means absolutely nothing to mm. me. And I hadn't deconstructed to the point where I was saying I didn't believe. But I think internally, within my heart, game over. And that was as late as 99. But it wasn't until about 2004, 2005 that actually said, I don't believe. But I really, I think I stopped believing in 99. Gee, that's so interesting. Uh, Fun fact, I was 16 in in 99. But I think back in about 1993 when the Toronto Blessing was, was kind of coming out. It was interesting. There is a listener community for I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist and somebody posted a clip today of a little girl, a young kid. Oh, that was you, wasn't it? Um, that posted a, a meme of this young girl who was like so into intercession and really overwhelmed by these huge emotions. You could see her becoming quite distressed, not knowing what to do with her body in order to express this distress. And it actually really reminded me of being at a Rodney Brown thing at that at that age. And at least I think it was Rodney Howard Brown. It might have been a smaller kind of Rodney Howard Brown knockoff. I don't know. Because there was a lot of knockoffs around that time. But I remember answering an altar call and feeling like I was, like I would have been about, I would have been young, I would have been 10-ish, and feeling like I was weighed down in heavy clothes and just weeping and overwhelmed with emotion. And you look back and you go, that is indoctrination. That is how it happens, is giving a child no context, no ability to understand and letting them be immersed in situations that are so unnatural and so, um, and, and I guess people would argue that they're supernatural, but you see a little girl like that, it's distress. And I still remember that day. I still remember feeling distressed and not knowing what to do with it. And then they kind of connected that with a burden for the lost and talk about hell and talk about eternal conscious torment. And that's a lot for a kid to take on. And I kind of, I think about my kids at age five and a half and six and a half and go, thank God, I'm not going to put them through that. But there's a lot to kind of unpack there over the years as you as you kind of walk outside of Pentecostalism and evangelicalism. So in terms of the podcast, you've spoken to so many people from so many different walks of life. What are the themes that have that come out that that people really seem to rally around regardless of their particular manifestation of faith or community while they were fundamentalists, what are the things that we all seem to struggle with 
you know, I think purity culture is probably one of them that we've done to death. But the biggest one that I think Brian was onto from the very start is a loss of community. Mm -hmm. So people that leave, that's probably the number one thing. Right. And I wouldn't have said that that was what I missed. I would have said, oh, it's, you know, the, the connection to the divine and meaning and purpose. But now that we've been doing this for a while and talking with people and exploring this, you know, reflectively myself, I think it's true. I think mm-hmm. that's what most of us miss, which is why even the meetup, which apologies, we didn't make it on the weekend, but the meetups, people go to these meetups because I think there's a part of them that just want, it's more than nostalgia. I mm-hmm. think it's, oh, just connect with someone who gets it. Yes. Yes. I was at the meetup on Sunday and and it was really funny because they, they'd listened to the episode, the, the, a few of the people that were there, and one of them said, oh, my ex-husband was from Sale and she said his name and I was like, oh. I had such a crush on him as a child. <laughs> he ran the kids' church. Anyway, he's now he's now come out and he's married to a man. I'm like, damn, I have got a type. <laughs> yeah. I need to talk to my therapist about that. But no, <laughs> it was it was a really enjoyable catch up. But yeah, community that that is that really rings true because the you mentioned before, Brian, that these people had become family. That I think has been an experience that that I've certainly felt is that you have this kind of covenant family or spiritual family, or you know they be they can become more important than your actual family. Which, by the way, if a faith community draws you away from your friends and family and closer to them at the expense of these other relationships, that's a warning, warning, warning. <laughs> no, no, it's a warning that you're following Jesus, who said you had to hate your mother, father, and your family to follow no, that's him. That's right. Jeez. So, mm, yeah, look, I, I think the community thing is it's a massive thing, but I think also a loss of self. So mm-hmm. when we talk to people, they particularly those people that were incredibly invested, and Troy could probably speak to you know that this is something that he's spoken to a little bit but um that your identity is a follower of jesus someone who's sold out everything every part of you is very much that and then you've got people who've been in ministry for god knows how many years and the they don't know anything outside of the church bubble so who the fuck are they when they leave Mm -hmm. like and how do they work that out? And some people work it out in a very self-destructive way. Some people are, a, a, you know, a, a little bit more kind to themselves and others on the way through. But I think that's a theme as well that we've um, we've definitely picked up. The community thing for me, it's what kept me in longer. So mm-hmm. I didn't properly leave until about 2010, and it was only through the breakdown of my marriage that that I finally pulled the pin. I'd I'd been deconstructing for many, many years before that, to the point where I really wasn't going to church anymore. I would my ex-wife and my kids would go and I'd go to a coffee shop and read the paper. I just I couldn't do it any longer. I was still part of a home group. So a but again, that was fairly informal. And mm-hmm. they these were my friends and I was I was scared to leave. But what happened for me was I'd gone back to university, 
proper university, not Bible college, and got my uh, got my social work degree. Made lots of friends outside of church as well. Lots of friends at work. So for me, gently, I just slipped away bit by bit yeah. by bit. But when we came back to Melbourne, we reconnected. It's the first thing we did. Where will we go to church? Where will you know? So again, we connected him with another friendship group, but that was only about three years after we came back that I left and walked away and that was it for me. Yeah. What about you, Troy? What about how was the how did the community thing show up for you? Well, I was kind of lucky because when I finally did walk away from church, I was quite quick to take off overseas as mm-hmm. an English teacher. I did the whole I'm gonna go overseas and teach English and I ended up in South Korea and we're about to release an episode actually in a couple of weeks. And by the time this comes out, probably around the same time, I talk about my experience being in South Korea with a very tight expat community. So what was interesting about that was everybody was a fish out of water and we all needed each other. And in some ways it was a really, and I didn't do it intentionally, of course, and yet it just, I was just in this super tight community of people who didn't really have much in common except this one thing that we were you know living in a in another country and so I felt I I guess I didn't really miss the community so much Mm -hmm. because I sort of did a kind of replacement therapy I guess with with community but later when I moved to Singapore which has a much looser expat community and people just it just wasn't the same it wasn't even anywhere near the same and that's when I really started to feel it and I felt really alone and I I just couldn't seem to connect with people as easily as I had back in Korea and I think that's when it really and, and again I was totally oblivious to this at the time but looking back now I'm like oh yeah and and I have pursued mm. that I think my whole life ever since lo- uh, losing church has been how do I connect with people how do I you know f- find friends that's always been something that's been front of mind for me and every time yeah. I move countries the first thing I think about is where's the community how do I connect Almost like this an addiction, is, maybe. This is, oh, is it though? Because as humans, we're meant to be tribal, kind of. We're meant to be in community. Uh, we're just, we just don't cope well with disconnection on a neurological level, on an interpersonal level. But the thing for me that is really interesting about this is the church community can be so artificial. It's not that you bond over like, all liking to play Settlers of Catan or all being Atari fans or all being musicians. It's we've got this faith in common that we might have inherited from our family or whatever and that becomes the thing you bond over and you have to create these connections within that. I found that the artificial intensity of them, you know, it's so, in my case, it was so drummed up because we were, you know, there was, Sunday mornings and then there was like Sunday nights at mum and dad's house and there was leadership meetings, music practice, teams, da-da-da-da-da. And then when you find yourself out there in the world with the rest of the normies, you actually have to put in a lot more work to get to the deep territory in friendships, to get to that comfortable level of friendships. Uh, You don't automatically, you can't just sit down next to somebody and go, how's your heart? How's your walk with God? And then have the shortcut to the deep stuff. You've actually got to find it. You've got to work at it. Um, Yeah, I, I found that really interesting. So do you think though, and this is what I meant about an addiction, do you think there was 
and and I genuinely say, for want of a better word, do you think there's a bit of institutionalized institutionalization that happened to us that we had this instant community, like you just said, it was so easy to at least appear or feel like we're connecting with people and there's all the choral singing and everything that they say that that does in terms of, you know, creating connection to everybody else in the room. I, I wonder if it didn't mess us up a little bit in terms of how we crave community and how we connect to other people. And maybe over time it, you know, it, it, it lessens, and and we get better at it, but I think maybe it. For me, I think there was an unnatural beyond just sociologically, you know, yeah. tribal, uh, you know, pack animals. But I think it was beyond that. I really do. I think it makes us crave something, and and that's part of why leaving is so hard too, because you yeah. lose that. Well, I think you've raised a few really good points here and I'd be keen to know what you you think about it, Brian, but like when, um, (laughs) this is a bad example, guys, I'm being a bad, I'm being a bad influence here, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Some of the most bonding experiences in friendships outside of church have been having a few too many drinks with somebody or, you know, the day that 60 Minutes aired, one of my friends took me to the to NGV and fed me an edible. And and I have to say that art galleries have never been so interesting. <laughs> but it but I what made me think of this was that that when you've reached an altered state of consciousness with someone, it's a shared experience on a different level. And when we're in church, when we're praying in tongues to loop back at that thread from the beginning, we've been in an altered state of consciousness with someone when we've been in immersive worship um, it's not just choral singing it can be prophetic worship where you're trying to establish trying to build in the spirit trying to like establish something in the supernatural realm with other people it's a it's a shared experience that is completely unnatural and it is a altered sense of uh, an altered uh, state of consciousness so I think it does something to us that you can't find elsewhere but that doesn't mean it's good the correlation between you can't find it outside the house of God and it being good is a false correlation but the other thing is that there's almost like a like a spiritual grandiosity that I experienced And, and you know like when I was studying psych, you know, these, these delusions of grandeur are something that can be signs of impairment. Um, but when you're in a Christian community that is very prophetic or apostolic, it's like that delusions of grandeur creeps in on a corporate level and your purpose is so grandiose. It's changing the world. It's taking dominion for God. It's doing all of these different things that is completely tied in with that group and its identity and you walk away from that group and you lose the delusion of grandeur and you lose the community and it's like, holy Moses, what the fuck has happened here? And then the sense of having lost ground so profoundly, it can be a really confusing time. That's my take on it. (laughs) I can remember being in a sermon once with Mal Fletcher Mm-hmm. And he was talking to a group of young people and he said, it's okay to be normal. Yeah. It's okay to be, I don't think he said average, but he implied that. And what he was saying to us is there's all this, and I think he could see it. 
Mal, Mal Fletcher, if you don't know who he was, he was a, the head of Youth Alive Victoria's head of Youth Alive Australia, and he was a big player in the AOG in Australia. And one thing about him was I think he was oftentimes quite insightful to some of the dysfunction in the church. Even though he's remained loyal and he's still involved in the church, I think he saw a lot of the shit. And and I think, and, and I, I'd never understood quite why he stayed in the AOG. But anyway, that's another story. But mm-hmm. I remember him saying that one day, and I can remember thinking at the time, it's easy for you to say, you got the big ministry. <laughs> you're going around from church to church, you're standing up in front of everyone, just everyone's adoring you and loving you, and then you tell us. Because I was in Bible college at the time, yeah. and you know, you're on this track and thinking, but at the same time, I get what he was trying to say, and he's trying to say to these kids, you don't have to feel the pressure to be something, to be someone, just be you. Mm-hmm. But he didn't quite say it like that. And, yeah. and even the language was, it's okay to be less than me. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, yeah. Anyway, look, I don't know quite where I was going with that other than to say, I think they set us up and then they knock us down and then they yeah. would set us up and then they would knock us down. Yeah. And kind of, again, keen to know your thoughts on it, Brian, that that whole thing about artificial community and, uh, you know, as, as somebody working in social work, as somebody who's kind of dispensing those words of encouragement <laughs> constantly, do you, do you find yourself sounding like a pastor and going, oh, I've just triggered myself? <laughs> or like, well, funnily what enough, is the normal level of that, I suppose, is the question. Yeah. And look, I reflected on this later, which is why I went into social work, was I, I'd I wanted to be a pastor, but I didn't want to be a pastor. I, I wanted to just work with people. And yeah. so for me, that became a natural transition where I went, ah, actually, that's what I want to do. I don't mm-hmm. actually want to being a pastor my identity. I think there I think there are some I've had some really deep connections with people in church. They haven't all been superficial. I, I would say that the vast majority and, and maybe I'm jaded, but the vast majority of my relationships within the evangelical fundamentalist scene were a lot more shallow than my relationships with people that I went into with Church of Christ and, and Baptist and maybe they were a bit more grounded because there yeah. wasn't that froth and bubble. There wasn't the performance stuff that you often saw in fundamentalist Christianity and the need to perform, the the need to be particularly great big AAG where we went, Mm -hmm. it was quite an affluent church. It was you had to dress (laughs) right, you had to act right. And quite often there wasn't an encouragement to be genuine. Those words were said, you know, be genuine, but they meant very different things. Whereas you you talked before about, you know, when you left the church, you can have a few more drinks, a few too many drinks with people. Well, I did that inside church. I mean, I had friends that that loved (laughs) to drink. And (laughs) interestingly, like the Church of Christ, I went to two, one in Queensland and one in Victoria. Both of them, people just didn't have a hang-up with drinking. Mm. And we would go out on boys' nights and nights with other families and drinking just drinking too much wasn't an issue. So it was a, a very, very different scene. But I do think that there was also, and again, just my experience, there was less judgment in those yeah. more mainstream churches of Christ, Baptist, than there was in the Pentecostal scene because 
that was definitely a lot more, again, about that performance. It was about a veneer. So as long as everything looked okay from the outside, that's okay. Underneath, it's shitty old chipboard. But as long <laughs> as it looks like a beautiful maple or oak on top that can be polished, that's all that mattered. So the world was veneer. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. I I mean, my experience is fairly laden with Lifton, Robert Lifton's top eight, I think, is it, that we had that milieu control and we had, in my opinion, and we had sort of those immersive worship sessions, which I now refer, I now reflect on as mystical manipulation, but also that demand for purity was so um, intense. But for me, I found it jarring when you called your podcast, I was a teenage fundamentalist because I actually I actually thought of other people as fundamentalists, but then I'm going, oh no, no, that was me. I was, I was that thing. Yep, that was jarring. Has have there been any surprises for you in the trends that have come out as you've sat and you've drawn out these stories and themes from across the world and across so many different manifestations of uh, fundamentalism? Look, I, I'm I'm shocked by very little in my life. <laughs> I, I really, I really am, and and you know, a lot of it has been the life I've been fortunate to live. Also, you know, the people that I've had the privilege of working with. I've seen lots and lots of different parts of society, so I'm I'm never really shocked. I'm disappointed. I think yeah. more than anything. So I sound like a dad now, but um, I'm I'm deeply disappointed that everybody that we speak to and we don't curate the people that we speak to to make sure that this is their experience, that they're all damaged by that rejection. So yeah. if they leave a church or leave an expression of faith, then they are rejected as a person. Yeah. So for me, it's, I'm incredibly disappointed that this is what an institution who calls themselves full of grace, full of mercy, <laughs> uh, but will fuck you over as soon as you leave us. So I think for me, that's that's a real key. And it's probably why, well, I don't think it's probably, it is why our podcast has resonated with mm. so many people, but also our Facebook community, which is a closed um, pl closed group on Facebook where people come in there and they trust each other with their, there's a lot of vulnerability in there and we guard it very closely along with our, our admin who look after that group to make sure that people can have that vulnerability without judgment. And that group mm. has people who are atheists, people who are still practising Christians. If you're a fundamentalist, you won't last in there long because we take <laughs> the piss out of it. But I, I think that there's a respect that mm. the church could learn from because yeah. there's an acceptance of people as people, not yeah. as systems of belief, not as shells that are ready to be filled up with Jesus. That's not what it's about, and that's why people have found a place there. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> praise the Lord. Fucking blessed. Fucking blessed. <laughs> um, I have to say, I, I just this week I, I did tweet. I did tweet that I'm shocked by very little. But I was shocked and content warning, guys. I'm talking about Catholics. You can guess what comes next. There was a case that got put forward on Four Corners this week and we're talking the week of the 31st of May 2023 here where, and I could not believe this happened, this family sued the Catholic Church for abuse at the hands of a priest 
the diocese, the Catholic diocese, countersued the family by saying they should have known that if they left their, their child with a Catholic priest, with this particular Catholic priest, that he would be molested. And I kind of sat back and went, holy fuck, this is a church that has tried to kind of govern the moral standard of society for so long. And, of course, that is changing now. We're watching the Liberal Party try to wrestle back control of the party from the right-wing nutjobs or the RWNJs as they call them and um, and it's really making the party unelectable in Australia um, or in Victoria at least. Um, but you start it like you just kind of shake your head and go, can you look at yourself? Can you see that the love and inclusiveness that Christ represented on earth is nowhere near? Like it's just it's not represented at all in pews. So that's been sometimes every, sometimes I think, no, I can't be shocked anymore and then something will happen and I'll be just like, oh, my gosh, what the fuck? But I have to say the other thing that's shocked me a little from now I haven't gotten through all 80 episodes that you guys have released yet, but. Should we hang up now, Troy? <laughs> I have been a little bit shocked by the amount of times that uh, church interference in relationships has come up. The Keith Green episodes, oh, the Keith Green arranging the, the teenage marriage, the Moonies, I had no idea that the Moonies arranged their marriages uh, and all of a sudden my story is not seeming so bizarre in its entirety. So that that threw me for a loop that that, that, that topic had come up a few times. It, it's funny you say that because I felt that in a lot of ways, I arranged my own marriage because that's what's been well. That's what's been <laughs> that's what sticking you're supposed out to, to do. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but not not in a good way. And I don't know if you've been listening to the to the women that have done the Keith Green that did the Keith Green episodes with us. They've now got their own podcast called Feet of Clay. Yes, and they are telling their own stories, and they are they're really focusing on this relationship meddling and purity culture and 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 this kind of thing. And yeah. the thing that really stuck out to me was the reason why I married a woman who I didn't love is because she would make a good pastor's wife. Oof. So Oof. I didn't need, you know, Keith Green or a pastor or somebody coming and, and setting us up. We did it to ourselves. Yeah. And this is what Josie McSkimming, who's a, a, a counsellor from Sydney, she wrote a book on on. Christian fundamentalism, and she talks about this. She talks about this gaze that happens not just from the top, but there's a gaze that happens across within within the community. You know that we all we all look across at each other and we learn what needs to be done without necessarily any sort of direct instruction from the top. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that where I think churches like yours, churches like the Revival Center. I'll say mine, mm -hmm. they were very hierarchical, very top-down leadership, as was the AOG, yet somehow in the AOG they taught us all to do it to ourselves. Yeah. And so I married my first wife knowing full well that I didn't really love her, but mm. she was going to be a good pastor's wife and wow. we were going to build churches together. And in the same way that these women from the, from the Keith Green episodes, Tracy and Sharon, they're saying we were – paired up for the sake of the work. We were paired up for the sake of the 
of the kingdom. gospel yeah, and for the yeah. sake of the kingdom. And I was well out of Great Big AOG. No one forced me to marry this woman, but the culture did. And I bought into the narrative. Now, what's ironic is prior to joining church, my meaningful relationships were with Asian women, yeah. right? And since leaving church, the majority of my relationships, not all of them, but the majority of my relationships have been with Asian women and now I'm married to an Asian woman. And it's, you know, I, I hate saying that because you play into the whole fetish idea. It's not that. It's just that's who I'm attracted to. Yeah. And you like what you like. But but in church, never. Never. Yeah. Never. It was these pastor's daughters, these, uh, I don't know, well well-rounded women of God, you know, that's yeah. that's who I was connecting with and it turned out I didn't want that. Yeah. It, that, it's, it's interesting that you say that. As a pastor's daughter who was a well-rounded woman of God, there was a few people that kind of, you know, felt, felt God telling them or whatever. And, uh, you know, I call bullshit on that. But it's it's interesting that you kind of talk about, sorry, what was that? Were you not interested in them because they weren't gay? Because, you know, you said you, <laughs> I mean, you said apparently. This, this type, right? <laughs> apparently I have a type. <laughs> but actually, actually it was because I was horrified at the idea of becoming a pastor. I did not want that. I did not want to inflict that on my children. I had had to share my parents with every Tom, Dick and Harry. I had had to step into a pseudo-parental role and and take on far more of the household duties and educational duties than other, other kids my age. I did not want to inflict that on my children. I did not want to live my life on the cusp of poverty um, and in service of, of, of you know, I, I wanted to think. I wanted to have a great adventure and arguably my life has been a great adventure, probably continues to be, but I just didn't want that. But there was a sense of trappedness in it all. Um, but it's interesting what you're saying. It, it, it's almost like they put the monster in your head. And I think That's this exactly allows – yeah, and I think it allows pastors to not take responsibility for the culture they've created, to say, oh, no, people chose to do this. And it's like, yeah, but you've created a culture where they have no other option, where there's an existential dread about it and where there's a community of people who are watching every move, who have cross-accountabilities and where the gossip chain is is weaponized to kind of haul you before the leadership when you're out of step, the monster is so in your head. And I have, after having viewed the the Ash conformity studies, that's A S C H, which was I've, I've referred to it a few times, but it's that one where they compared the size of the line, and three or four participants in the study were an actor, were actors, and the, fourth, the fifth one was real. That's all it takes for us to be able to second guess ourselves. Three or four people to, to make you second guess yourself and go against your better judgment. It doesn't take that much when you surround people with, you know, 40, 50, 60 people who are all barking the same orders and all singing the same songs. How are you not supposed to conform? How are you not supposed to do this to yourself? We have we have a theme at the moment in, in one of our episodes where we quote Billy Joel. And I'm gonna <laughs> quote Billy Joel to you now, which Iconic. is which is <laughs> which is, you know, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning <laughs> since the world's been turning. And I don't think it's fair to say that these pastors created this culture. I think they facilitate it. 
Yes. But they didn't start the fire. Really? It was handed on to them. Yeah, true. And, you know, I mean, however long you want to trace this back, does it really go back 2,000 years? Was the early church like this? I don't know. But it's been going on for a really long time. And it's like the, you know, it is. It's this torch, this Olympic torch that gets handed on from pastor to pastor or from community to community. And I think it just continues on. But they they facilitate it because this is what Josie McSkimming says. They are as much a part of this system yeah. as anybody else. And maybe you get mm. these odd churches like yours, like the Revival Centre, where there is really someone at the top that has yeah. full full control. But I think for a lot of these Pentecostal churches, it's it's a cultural thing that's yeah. driving everyone and it's gotten away from everybody. Nobody's yeah. in control. Yeah, so true. It's it's interesting. I am probably like a lot of your listeners and I geek out on cult documentaries. Why do I do it to myself? I don't know. And what I find fascinating is when you've got L. Ron Hubbard at the head of Scientology, it's one thing. But then and it's bad. It's bad. But then when there's when he dies, and, and with you've got him, David Miscavige running. You've it. got the David Miscavige and the the sense of celebrity and and charisma and the original personality around which this cult of personality developed. That's gone. Only cruelty and control can carry on that next That's that right. next generation. Same of with it. Mormonism, Claire. Same with Mormonism. Brigham Young took the Mormons yeah. to what they are. Today, or at least you know, he was the one that moved them all off to Salt Lake City, etc. Mm. He he turned it into this cult. I mean, yeah. it was it was a personality cult around Joseph Smith, but it was and and that's what you'll see with a lot of these groups. See what happened mm. was with the Revival Center when Lloyd Longfield died, he gave it to his son, and his son didn't have what it took to yeah. take it to the next level. So the Revival Center will disappear in a couple of generations. They probably won't exist. However, you look at the AOG. It was there's there's somebody that took it, yeah, and and ran with it and turned it into you know and, and is that is that uh, what's his name Evans? What's the Evans man? The big Russell, one, Russell Andrew Russell no, Andrew, yeah, yes, what, was yes. it Andrew Evans? Yeah, that actually took the AOG and turned it into what it was, or was it people before him? I don't know. Yeah, it it's interesting watching Hillsong happen at the moment, and it's in like the whole the whole crumbling of that empire or whatever happens with it now. Like now that the Houston the Houston dynasty is kind of crumbled, what happens under Phil Dooley and what happens when this, this next generation of leadership comes up? Do we go from charisma to cruelty? I don't know. It's interesting to watch this whole thing go from generation to generation and, and kind of just unravel a bit and become less safe, I'd argue. Did you see his daughter? left recently, mm-hmm. left Hillsong, and there was this yes. – and, and I just – I sat there and I just thought they're Ugh. just going to pretend. They're yeah. going to stand in front of everyone and they're all going to pretend that, oh, yeah, God's calling us and we're moving. And and even Laura and – what's her husband? Togsy or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're, they're up there on the stage and they're just pretending for the yes. sake of what? Yes. But that broke it. me. That just looking at that made my stomach sink and looking at that – the, their, their child on the stage next to them going, oof, like there's this sense of everything is irrevocably changed, um, but smile for the cameras anyway. It's it's a shocker. 
so so Brian, what has been your greatest joy in in doing in going through deconstruction and in finding your life outside and then of course in doing the podcast? What's what's been the the upside, the rewards? Oh, there's many. Look, I, I think in my life in general, I'm I'm happier mm. and I'm less burdened by the amount of stuff that I used to do when I was inside the walls <laughs> of the church. But, you know, I, I mean, I that's been a very, very long time since I was that involved in a church yeah. anyway. So I think for me it's it's just having that certainty of what I believe. The irony of that <laughs> yeah. coming afterwards. And, and I was going to say that it's the certainty, though, of being happy in the uncertainty, whereas yeah. before I was only happy in the certainty of, you know, believing that, you know, this was temporary, the real deal was heaven, all that sort of stuff. Even though I didn't believe in hell, there was still, you know, that, Afterlife was very much a focus and, you know, just to not have to really worry about that. <laughs> but I think also that I take comfort in the fact that nothing is sacred anymore, yeah. that we can call these things out. There was a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. There's so much fear when you're a Christian. You don't want to say the wrong thing just in case, you know, you end up cursed or mm-hmm. you don't. That's not want- the Lord's anointed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so that caused a culture of not being able to question. Yeah. If you saw something that was a bit on the nose, it was like, oh, don't, don't question that because they're the Lord's anointed. And it's that sort of thing which I never sat overly comfortably with, but I, I still, I did it. I obeyed. Yeah. Look, the, the great stuff about the podcast, I think, is the fact that we have created something that, has communicated to people that they're not alone. Yeah. That what they've they're going through isn't abnormal. It's actually a side effect of the head fuckery that they've been involved mm. in. Mm. So it just feels it feels so good. Like it feels equal to my day job, my full-time job. Um I don't I don't work directly with people anymore because I don't like them enough. But <laughs> through the podcast, you know, we do make that that change in people's lives and the emails that we get, the communication we get over socials of, of people going, thank you so much. I felt that like the resounding message we get from people, I thought I was alone. Yeah. I thought I was the only one that thought this. I thought I was the only one who'd gone through this. To The privilege of being able to, to guide people through a safer journey in their life is just, yeah, I, I can't put it in words. Beautiful thing. Yeah. What about you, Troy? What was the question again? I don't know. I was hoping you'd remember. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah no, look, I tell you what, Claire, I agree. I do agree. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's an old church trick when you do the round the room, whip around, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, just really, really agree with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great thing. Why don't we, the why don't joys, we have a prayer? <laughs> why don't we close in prayer? The joys oh, in your God. life and the Trigger joys warning, about the podcast. Trigger warning, guys. Trigger warning. Because I was, I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking we, we have to do it like – Father God, we just want to thank you now because Father God, and when you don't know what to say, you don't say Amana, you say Father God. Yes. And and that and then I was thinking about this, Father God, that if you came now, Father God, that we could, you know, Father God. Okay. Was triggered, triggered. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
I think the question was about the biggest reward for, through deconstruction and 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 starting the podcast. Yeah, I mean, besides the serotonin or whichever whichever the the you know the feel good chemical that gets released every time you see the download numbers and you go yes you know that that's that's really exciting and it is and that becomes addictive as a matter of fact i can even say that i can understand some of these guys that have built these mega churches that it's all about numbers yeah because it does get addictive yeah you know and they they're building the kingdom of god we're just building a goddamn podcast but yeah does get addictive and you want the numbers to be higher and higher. And I thought about that recently and I thought, ooh, ooh, I, I think I might actually, if this had gone the other way, I might have been a bad guy <laughs> because I'm getting these, you know, the, these hits of yeah. the feel-good chemical in my brain and, you know. So yeah. I don't know. Besides that, like Brian said, I think it's the creating this space for yeah. people to talk. Now, I know it's been in America for a while that there's you know, there's podcasts like ours, but even things like the liturgists, they didn't really no. confront, you know, like they, they would do about speaking in tongues, you know, episodes on speaking in tongues. They wouldn't just say it's bullshit. They'd go, yeah. oh, you know. And and I think that's very American to, yeah. to be like that maybe because it's quite a sensitive thing. But I think being Aussies in this space, we're just like, nah, it's bullshit. Yeah. And, and we just say that. And I think that's why we're starting to gain an American audience because – we're saying the things that a lot of people think, but their culture won't allow them to say. Yeah. And maybe if we were living in America, we couldn't do this, but yeah. we're living in Australia and it's, you know, same shit, different bucket in terms of the religion. So I think being able to they say think our things, accents are cute. They think yeah, they do enjoy our accents. That's true. <laughs> so I, 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 yeah, I think creating the space for people to be able to say what they need to say and think what they need to think is important. But I also think for the longest time, none of us were allowed to say these kinds of things out loud, even in the conservative evangelical space, mm. even in the progressive church, you still can't say this. We have nothing to lose. We have high profile progressive ministers, both male and female, who are listeners to the show. And I know that they love the fact that we get to say the things that they couldn't possibly say yeah. because they'd alienate their fan base. <laughs> and yet we get we get to do it yeah. because we've got nothing to lose. And dare I say, I'm gonna, I use this metaphorically, not literally, it's kind of prophetic in yeah. the sense that we can stand up because we're not part of the system and we can stand up and say, this is bullshit. And it doesn't matter if the podcast stopped tomorrow, our lives will go on. Yeah. You know, we're, we're both in jobs. We're both doing what we're doing. Life would go on. We've really got nothing to oh, – don't get me wrong. I would be pissed off because we've poured a lot of our own money into this Because you're addicted to the numbers. And right? addicted you're to, addicted the numbers. to the numbers. Oh, look, no, don't, don't laugh. It's true. <laughs> I am addicted to the numbers. I really am. Yeah. And also, I don't know if you know, but the last last uh, episode we did, we actually got our first sponsor. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Hello Fresh, America's number one meal kit. And it doesn't – Hey, do I get some of those sponsorship dollars now that you've dropped well, the, the tagline there? Come on. The code doesn't work in Australia. It only works oh. in America. Well, oh, bugger. All right, then fine. <laughs> yeah, but even that, it's, I don't know, we're building something. It's fun. You yeah. know, it's a hobby. I'm not good with my hands. I'm not good in the garden. I I'm not into cars. I, I do a podcast. So this is fun. Yeah. And it is. This is fun. And I, I'd have to say reclaiming fun has been a really interesting thing I mean, there's all sorts of interconnected layers there, but right back at the beginning, one of you spoke about brokenness, about 
being broken at the altar and broken before God. I realized the other day or the other month, I don't know, time is a social construct that makes no sense to me at the moment, but um, (laughs) I realized that church was what told me I was broken and when I left, the brokenness left me too. And it was, and don't get me wrong, I still go to therapy, but my core identif- my core identity is not as someone who's broken. It's someone who's a fucking badass because I've survived so much and reinvented myself as someone who is happy and whole and, yes, a little bit flawed, but that's humanity, whatever, who gives a crap. You know, it, the, the sense of brokenness, the sense of neediness, the sense of codependency, spiritual codependency that, that was built up inside evangelicalism, it's not there anymore. And there's a lot of times for sure when, like, when my ex-husband and I, sometimes we, we, we get the dual benefit of living life as single people but also being able to hang out with our married friends because we just, you know, just take each other along. But sometimes we make jokes and the, the room goes silent and people look at you like you're an absolute alien and you think, oh, God, that's right, I wasn't raised on the same planet as you, was I? <laughs> but you can kind of, those those alien moments aside, the sense of brokenness is, is just not there anymore and life is something to be embraced. So, look, it's it, I could keep on talking to you, but it's getting late. It's almost 10 o'clock at night and it's been really interesting hearing your stories a little bit more and talking about being able to call out the bullshit so it is an absolute privilege to be able to do that I know and I kind of have this pledge to myself that I'll continue to call out the bullshit as I go along in life so maybe that's something that we can all rally behind in the meantime Troy Waller Brian McDowell fucking blessed I was a teenage fundamentalist thank you for being here thanks for having us thanks for having us it's been fun And that was another episode of Unchurchable. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making it to the end. I hope you've enjoyed it. I can't wait to bring you the next episode where I'm talking to Sinane Shea from Taking Off the Tinfoil Hat. Sinane takes us through some incredible territory, some really well-researched and well kind of brought together information on conspiracy theories what's at the heart of them all and why evangelicals are so susceptible i cannot wait to bring you that episode it's going to be fantastic in the meantime look after yourself be well be healthy um try to find a way to pull out the bullshit see you later